Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Okay, well, let's open the Word of God to 1 John. And uh, 1 John, written at a, at a time of intense persecution of the Church of Jesus Christ, um, from without and also from within. We heard last week that actually there were people going about saying that Jesus was not who he said he was, that Jesus was just a man. And so this morning we're going to continue on and, uh, and look at this passage from, verse, from chapter 2, verse 3. And we're just going to stop as we go along and make comment. So uh, feel free to follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. We know, I think my version's slightly different, so let that twist your brain a little bit. Um, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, it says, we know, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Let's pause for a minute there. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Can you know someone without obeying their commands? I will testify that yes, I can know someone because I know my husband Darren very, very well. I love him. He is my best friend. I feel like I'm his best friend. We love each other. We know each other well. Yet every time he tells me what to do, I want to tell him where to go. And, uh, and it's my wrestle of my life is, Bron, just humble yourself and just submit and just do what he says. Um, and it is a wrestle, a daily dying to myself. So I feel like, yes, you can know someone and not do what they say. I am proof, living proof of that. Um, so, so what can this mean? We know that we have come to know him meaning God, if we obey his commands. Verse 4, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, ouch, and the truth is not in him. So if we know that we can know someone and not obey their commands, then why this big claim about God that you can't know him if you're not doing what he says? Well, this word know is used 222 times in the New Testament in various ways. One of them is where Mary has the angel appear to her and says, you're going to have a baby, Mary. And Mary says, how? When I've never known a man, meaning that she'd never been intimate with a man. And, uh, and so that is what that is talking about. It actually goes beyond just a, I know um, Christy, I know Katie. It's this, this a, a deep knowledge and understanding, obviously not, um, it's a familiarity, yes, whoops. Um, it's a, a deep familiarity with someone. It's a deep knowledge and understanding of who that person is. And it's saying you can't actually say that you know God unless you do what he says. Because if you say that you know God, you know how magnificent he is, how holy he is, how righteous he is, how good he is. And if you'll just willfully do what you want in spite of that, then you don't really know who God is. So verse 5, but if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is, oh, pause. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is a natural kind of follow on. When you know someone, then, then your love for each other grows as you together do what each other want. So for example, my son Lachlan, if he says that he loves me and I love him and he's like, I, I really do, mum, I love you with everything. I'm like, 
that's awesome, son. And then he just does whatever he wants and ask him to do something and he does the exact opposite. And Or he says, yes, I love you. I'm going to do that and then doesn't do it. I'm not like, oh, wow, our love is made complete. I'm like, you little punk, come over here and let me sort you out. <laughs> and, and so it's the same thing. When, we're, when we know God, then it follows on that we're doing what he says. And then it follows on that that love is made complete. There's this understanding and, and the flow continues and it's this cyclic thing. Don't mistake that you're always doing whatever he says. Because don't forget, we've just come, two verses, we finished with it last week, that my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have one standing in our defence. So when it's saying you only love God and know God if you're doing what he says, don't mistake it that you are doing that all the time and you never get it wrong. But you surely have a desire to do what he says if you do love him. Now, this next sentence, it says, I think in the NLT it says, that is how we know we are living in him. But most versions say, this is how we know we are living in him, colon, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So um, the verses, I don't know if you know, came in around, verses and chapters came in around 11th century. So they, these chapters and verses weren't actually in the original. It was just read straight through. So this isn't actually a split. It says, this is how we know we are living in him, colon, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Well, how did Jesus live his life? By Jesus' confession, he only did what the Father told him to do. And he only said what the Father told him to say and the Father told him what to say and how to say it. So if we want to live as Jesus did, then we need to be listening out for the voice and, and trusting God that he's going to tell us what to do and that we're going to say what he asks us to say. Now, what does that mean? Do I stand here and go, God, should I start with my left foot or my right foot? Speak, Lord. Oh, I don't know what you're saying. I've just got to stay here. Or do we go to the car yard and say, God, VW or Hyundai? VW or Hyundai? Um, and the salesperson's like, like, you've got a choice here. And you're like, I'm waiting to heareth what the Lord saith right now. And I cannot do with anything unless he tells me VW or Hyundai. And, uh, and, and God's like, well, I actually gave you a brain and invented maths so that you could work out what you could afford and that you could buy whatever car your ego will allow you to buy the cheapest. Oh, that was, last part was a barefoot investor, not God. Um, but, um, but so the, the, God gives us a brain. He's not just wanting us to stay still and he's not meaning that by what Jesus did and, and how Jesus lived, but that, that, that tuning in to the voice of God that I love listening. You speak to Nathan Robinson for five minutes and he'll be telling you about some, he was on a job site and God told him to ask this person this question and, and he prayed for them and they, they tuned into that. You talk to Frank Coleman for five minutes and he'll tell you that he just started talking to this person and then somehow the conversation worked its way to about God. You know, it didn't. Frank worked its way to about God. But, but just listening for what to say and how to say it, keeping that ear attuned to God. So let's go to verse 7. Dear friends, because this is also right now, he's moving into telling us how to live like Jesus lived. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new commandment, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Verse 8, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him, Jesus, and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So this command is twofold. It's old and it's new. It's from the beginning, but it's the new message. 
And that simply means that it was right back at the start. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Written right back in the law. But then Jesus comes along and says, I've come to fulfill that command. In me, it's fulfilled. And and this is what you need to do now. All the law is fulfilled by these two. And then Jesus says to his disciples just before he dies, which Trish just read us, a new command I give you, love one another. So this command of love, what to pay? Love, just love, is to be with each other and to, and to look after each other and to lay our lives down for each other. And it's old, it's from the beginning and it's new with Jesus and it's new again with us. And you might say, well, that's so obvious, Bron. Please raise your hand if you get love right every single day to every single person that you come in contact with. Mikey Barlow, we're taking you out later and stoning you because we're going Old Testament for liars. I don't think liars got... <laughs> Stone, but anyway, we don't, we, we don't have it right, do we? You only got to wake up in the morning and your spouse looks at you wrong and you haven't got love right. And so we need to love. And, uh, and it's saying this, is, this command never gets old. It's from the beginning. It's now. It's in the future. It never gets old to love one another. So verse, and it says actually that this will usher in light, that this will, this command that's made complete in Jesus brings in light wherever it goes. Verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Just going to let that settle for a little second for anyone who needs it. I'll just read it again. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. So enough said, right? Just need to sort that out. Uh, Verse 10, whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. So when this is talking about brother, you might have naturally gone to your brother because God needs to help you with that. But also this is talking about our Christian brothers and sisters. That's who this is talking about. So we can say, you know, I get along really well with non-Christians. I just think Christians are all idiots and I hate church, but I love Jesus. Sorry. Not okay. It, it's really actually saying that we need to rework that completely. If we are to be those who love Jesus, we have to love each other. Now I want you to look across right now and stare into the eyes of someone in this room that you find really hard to love. <laughs> but in fact, this is the, this is the outworking... Hey, stop looking at me! <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out, Nate. <laughs> um... The thing is, is that this is God's plan. I don't know about you, but has anyone felt like any of you who are married, those of you who are not married, retain the, you know, euphoric picture that you have? But, but for anyone who's married, has anyone else found it out to be a trick? Like it is like the simultaneously most wonderful thing and, and worst thing in your life <laughs> that you like have all this stuff worked out of you through your marriage. Like all the innermost parts are like bleh, coming out. It's like... That sounded like a possession, but <laughs> not unfam- un- un- Yes, whatever. Keep moving. Um, <laughs> that 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 all the bad stuff comes out at you and and is displayed and projected onto the person that you love the most, and that actually the things that you never knew were in you come out of you because of marriage. Well, actually, that's God's intention: is that that we die to ourselves and and live together, and and that 
we help each other become more like Jesus. That's part of his intention for marriage. And in this room as well, people that you never, that you look across the room at and go, I never would have been friends with you. I never would have talked to you if we didn't go to church. Yeah, that's exactly the point, is that we become close and know people that we never would have known. You know, this was so revolutionary in the 20 seconds that I have left. This was so revolutionary in the first century because there were people who were people who never spoke to each other, completely different people groups who then were in fellowship together in houses. There were the rich and the poor. There were slaves and there were free. People who never would have associated together together because of Jesus Christ. And so it's saying, yeah, you've got to love each other. You have to love each other. And just to finish with the last three verses, two verses, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. The passage that you would have seen in the screen is mature in the faith because you know Christ and young in the faith. So it's not gender specific, just to uh, make that um, aware. But also about this, this mature in the faith, it's not, you know, we can sometimes see maturity like you've got to go get your driver's license tested every year now to keep it because of your maturity. Um, It's not talking about just older people, it's talking about older in the faith. And so those who are mature, um, it's saying that you know God. And how do you know God? By keeping His commands. So the more we keep His commands, the more mature we get and the more we know God. And it's this beautiful cycle of going deeper with God. So five minutes of what occurred to you from this passage that you hadn't seen before or maybe you've not read it before. What's a question from this passage and what's something that you can do going forward? Let's have five minutes of thinking about that. Um, Lord, I pray that uh, your words would ring true from this message, Lord, and that we would be able to grab hold of something to live our lives um, more like you in Jesus' name. Uh, As we said, that those who love God will keep his commands. And I just want to give a quick disclaimer about... um, if you are someone like maybe who grew up in a legalistic environment or maybe with your parents, if you didn't do what they said in the way that they wanted you to, then it was very obvious that they then withheld their love from you. So when the Bible says um, whoever loves God will do what he commands, you need to know that that is not who our God is. We need to remember the passage that it flowed from where it said whoever does sin has an advocate with the Father who is interceding day and night on our behalf. He doesn't then as soon as we do something wrong, oh, you didn't do what I commanded? Well, I'm sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. That, that car crash is going to happen or whatever it is. You know, we, we have this expectation of something going wrong um, and, and it's dread because we have a fear of punishment. But the Bible says perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. So anything in us that has this this abject fear of God punishing us shows that our love hasn't yet been perfected because when we do what He commands, it flows out of love, not for His love. Does that make sense? Great. Okay. Well, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says, Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So this morning we're going to examine four ways, or however many we get through, four ways to live a lot like Jesus did, starting in 20 minutes. Okay? So you can live however you like for the next 20 minutes, but in 20 minutes we're going to, four ways to live a lot like Jesus did. So I imagine if you're here this morning and you're just checking Jesus out, you'd love it if people 
believers would live more like Jesus. Perhaps you've come to church in spite of the fact a lot of the people that you know that say they love Jesus don't live anything like Jesus and you wish they would live a lot more like Jesus. And if you are someone who loves Jesus this morning, you I'm sure desperately want to live a lot more like Jesus. So four ways, here we go. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Let me ask you these questions. Who would you say you live your life most like? Who do you model your life after? Or not intentionally, but unintentionally, who is your life modelled after? It might be one of your parents. It might be Donald Trump. (laughs) Who are the major influences on how you live your life? Might be one of your parents. Might be Donald Trump. (laughs) Um, Where in your life do you live a lot like Jesus? So when we think about the way that Jesus lived, his priorities, his principles, the rhythm that he lived life with, rather than just, you know, being someone who we vaguely base our life on, if he's the beginning, the beginning, Jesus who was from the beginning that we build our life on, he stands alone, who was revolutionary, who is the final word, then he stands out as something far beyond human origin, doesn't he? Do you feel like that? that? That someone who can say that they're the final word, that they're authoritative, that their actions are revolutionary to everything around them, that they, are, that they have that, that last word, that they've got to be different from human origin. Now, you might disagree with things that Jesus does, but that doesn't make Jesus wrong, does it? Bella disagrees with the things that I say. That doesn't make me wrong. <laughs> Those who, <laughs> those who they say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So let's do our four ways. Number one, pray a John 3.30 high-risk prayer. This is a John 3.30 high-risk prayer. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. Starting in 20 minutes, let's pray this prayer. More of you, less of me. Every day this week, let's pray that prayer, more of you, less of me, a high-risk prayer. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, which is actually next week's passage. Classic Daz, skipping ahead. Um, don't love the world's ways, don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out, but whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. As was spoken before, how did Jesus live? I don't do anything except that which the Father tells me to, and I don't say anything unless He tells me what to say and how to say it. Less of me, more of you. That will move us in the right direction. God, today, less of me, more of you. At recess or morning tea, God, less of me and more of you. Before we walk in the front door at home, God, less of me and more of you. Before we go to sleep at night, God, less of me and more of you. High risk prayer number one, start it in 20 minutes. Number two, leverage your influence for other people's good. For the next 10 to 15 minutes, you can leverage your influence for your own good as much as you like. But starting in 15 minutes, how about leveraging our influence for other people's good? Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. 
When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus refused to leverage his position for anything except God's glory and people's good. God's glory and people's good. How do you leverage where you have influence? How do you leverage where you have influence? Currently, I feel like I'm leveraging part of my parental influence for my good. My children have to cook dinner three, one night each a week and they have to do all the washing. I pay them, but they have to do all that. And I would suspect that they think that I'm leveraging my position for my good. But in fact, I'm leveraging it for their good and for their future. <laughs> yes, the support in the room. <laughs> Take that, kids. <laughs> What does leveraging your influence for other people's good look like for you? Where do you have influence? You might think, I don't have, feel like I have any influence. But we all have some degree of influence and, and it doesn't matter how little, it's using even that little for people's good and for God's glory. Who gets the advantage of the influence that you currently leverage? Who gets the advantage? Is it you or is it other people? So number one, pray a dangerous prayer, less of me, more of you. Number two, leverage your influence for other people's good. And number three, take a genuine interest in someone. To live as Jesus lived, take a genuine interest in someone. Luke chapter 19, and we're going to just pick out some verses from here. Then Jesus entered and walked through Jericho. There was a man there, his name Zacchaeus, the head tax man and quite rich. He wanted desperately to see Jesus, but the crowd was in his way. He was a short man and couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. When Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today is my day to be a guest in your house. Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck, delighted to take Jesus home with him. Everyone who saw the incident was indignant and grumped. What business does he have getting cosy with this crook? Zacchaeus just stood there a little stunned. He stammered apologetically, Master, I give away half my income to the poor and if I'm caught cheating, I pay four times the damages. Jesus said, today is salvation day in this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham, for the son of man came to find and restore the lost. Jesus did this wherever he preached. Zacchaeus was one of the most hated men in all of Jerusalem. Mary was a woman who was demon-possessed and freaked everybody out. The, the Samaritan woman who was despised and ostracized according to the political and the religious elite and even the people of her own village. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? He took genuine interest in people. We need to make it our aim that when we live a conversation... We've got more of a sense of who and how they are than who and how we are. It's something that I try to, try to do constantly is that I haven't left the conversation thinking they know a whole lot more about me from that conversation, but actually that I know a whole lot more about them. And depending on how much adult conversation I've had, <laughs> generally depends on how I go with that. When you walk away from someone, do you walk away with them knowing a whole lot more about you or you knowing a whole lot more about them? Genuine interest, asking some questions. And finally, number four, live big love in a small love culture. What do we mean by that, big love? Big love is where you can disagree with each other and still have love for each other. 
That is not the culture of our world. We live in a small love culture. You disagree with me? Well, then I cancel you. I I don't know you anymore. I'm taking you. I'm unfollowing you. I'm blocking you. I'm muting you. And we don't, if you don't agree with me, then we can't get on. But this is talking about big love in a small love culture. Jesus lived with big love. There was a time when everyone that Jesus most invested in, he abandoned, they abandoned him. They didn't just abandon him. They denied him in his most difficult time. Imagine that. But Jesus continued to love them, continued to invest everything in them. And having been abandoned, he endured for them. That's not how most people respond when their love is hung out to dry. How do you go? I struggle. If someone hangs me out to dry, I struggle to re-engage with that person. I struggle to to not just want to be hands off and withdraw completely from that person. But Jesus had big love and he rushed back in. He said this, he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. That's big love. Our times demand big love from us. We're in a time where you can't disagree, where you can't say the wrong thing. But we need to be those who are willing to disagree and be disagreed with and show love regardless. So if big love is that, then what is love where Jasper writes something on his Facebook, he doesn't have Facebook, where he writes something, Facebook is an old person thing I've come to realise, where Jasper writes something on his Instagram and I disagree with it and I, you know, say, oh, Jasper, I disagree because, um, you know, whatever it is, evolution's a theory, maybe I would say that, maybe Jasper would say the opposite, I'm not sure, and Jasper says, um, you don't know what you're talking about, unfollow, mute, stops coming to church, so what's that kind of love? Well, I would call that adolescent love which is okay for you, Jasper, because you're a teenager and you're an adolescent. But if we're in Christ, we need to actually grow up and go, no, I'm willing to have big love. I, I see adolescent love anywhere, everywhere by a whole lot of adults that say, you disagree with me, you're, we're no longer able to walk together. But big love is where we can still love each other. Let's live with love that is so much bigger. Let's not buy into childish love that's torn apart relationships and marriages and families and groups and communities and nations. Let's live with big love. Small love says we have to agree to be okay. Big love says we can disagree and walk together. Small love separates out at the point of conflict. Big love likes it no more. Who likes conflict? Not me, but is committed to united. Small love is easily offended. Big love chooses not to be. And big love is defined like this from the Bible. Big love never gives up. Big love cares more for others than for self. Big love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head. Big love isn't always me first. Big love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Big love takes pleasure in truth. Big love perseveres when others quit. Big love trusts God. Big love is robust. Big love always looks for the best. Big love never looks back, but big love keeps on going to the end. And that's the kind of big love that Jesus lived with. Number one, let's pray a John 3.30 high risk prayer every day this week. Less of me, more of you. Number two, let's leverage our influence for other people's good. Number three, let's take a genuine interest in someone and let's include some that others don't seem interested in. Let's let that be our challenge and let's live big love in a small love culture. Four ways to live like Jesus and you've got one minute to live however you want before you start it right now. Let's pray and...
And then uh, just remind you that the toilets close at, in 10 minutes to be cleaned for the next group of people. And uh, if we could all um, vacate by 10 o'clock, that would be amazing. Lord, thank you for your big love. Lord, there was nothing about us that you would have agreed with, yet you sought to bring out the best in us. You sought to redeem us. You sought to draw us close to yourself. And so, Lord, we want to love like you love. We want to walk how you walked. We want to say what you said. So, Lord, for that we need courage and we need wisdom. Would you please give us the wisdom to know what's right and the courage to do what's right? And Lord, would you guide us into your ways so that we would truly know you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey again. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.